Do you aspire to become a responsible leader? How do you see yourself now as a young man? Learning from challenges is one thing, but getting opportunities is another. If you're a young man who wants to to learn about personal growth, uh, life lessons, and leadership, tune in to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. I'm actually, at 48 years old, jealous of what's happening with you from when I was your age. It's like, man, if I would have had something like this when I was your age, watch out. So uh, I'm proud to be here, proud to be associated with you. Can't wait to see what you guys do if 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 you take action, right? It, if this is just a bunch of cool stuff you think about, then it's not going to help you. But <laughs> but if you take action on this stuff that that is coming from these mentors, man, it, that, what an amazing opportunity. True story, man. You know, um, I think I've shared with some of these guys at one point. I don't know if I ever shared the story with you, Coach, but um, you know, there's a one of my favorite TED Talks of all time is a, a gentleman named Sugata Mitra. Um, and so if you guys haven't seen that that TEDx, man, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. It's from back like, I mean, it is like, I don't even know, 2000. It was one of the earlier TED Talks, to be honest. Um, and Sugata went into, I don't remember what country it was, so you have to go watch it. But he went into a foreign country, a third world country, like young kids living in the streets kind of deal. And they put in essentially like an ATM vestibule with one computer that had internet access. That's It was never, ever done ever prior to nobody ever seen a computer nobody had ever seen what the internet was like they had no idea of what it was and he just left it there and they just waited to see what happened and within um a very 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 short period of time you had all these young heroes are like eight nine years old didn't speak english but they had figured out at some point how to get on they'd figure out how to get on the internet they started recording themselves they started figuring out how to record themselves singing along to all of their favorite songs they started doing all this because they were just so fired up to do it right and so eventually they added a program that was a college course on biology in english these are 9 and 10 and 11 year old young men who didn't speak english who had never gone to school who had never seen anything like this. And within six months, they were passing college level examinations in biology. What is that? Are they some sort of crazy being outside the What it means is they were excited to do it. They were excited to put in the work. That's it. That's it. Here's a true story. Something Matt doesn't know about me. I was 14 years old. I was a pretty good writer working with my dad. My dad always was a great educator. I never would have said that until I met Matt and Apogee, but my dad was a great educator because he just took me everywhere. Whatever he did, he would bring me. And I, I remember being 12 years old and he had a meeting with the governor of Louisiana and he brought me and I'm sitting there and I'm barely paying attention in the middle of the meeting. He says, Kevin, what do you think about this? And I was like stunned. I didn't even know what they were talking about because I just assumed I was there like I wasn't really a part and he would do that all the time. Like anyone he met with, he would ask me what I thought. And like, at first I thought he was playing with me, but then I realized like I, I had a voice and I started using it. And so I'm 14, I'm at his office and he pushes this paper across his desk to me and he says, Hey, um, this is an op-ed that, that someone just wrote for Billy Tozan. Um, this is going to go into the New York times. Um, about the oyster industry because my family were oyster fishermen okay so eight generations of oyster fishermen uh, and he says i think you could write this better so you should you should rewrite this like rewrite this and let's just see i'm like oh cool okay like why he's like i just want to see if you could write it better because it's 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 okay but i think you could write it better all right so uh i went 
over to another office where there was like this old like blue screen WordPress like Word uh, Perfect. Like you guys don't even know what that is because it's it's a dinosaur program. But this blue screen program, and I wrote for like a couple hours and brought it in. He had some edits. I made some edits. Right, gave it back to him. He's like, "That's better. Thanks." And I was like, "Cool." You know, my dad's proud of my writing. Whatever. About two months later, he brought me a copy of the New York Times. And there was my, he had, he had swapped it. There was my op-ed piece at a, as a 14 year old boy with, with the U S Senator signature at the bottom, um, because I had read, written it and they thought it was better too. The Senator also thought it was better and it was crazy. I just thought I was doing something cool for my dad and he wanted to like, you know, he just wanted to see what I could do. And turns out at 14, I, I ghost, ghost, ghost wrote an op-ed piece with New York times. Um, but not not because I knew that's what I was doing, but because man, it age is not a limiter if you don't want it to be. That's right. That's exactly right, man. And it takes us forever to realize that if we ever do. I mean, I think we do because we do the same thing. We'll turn around and do the same thing as parents, right? And we'll go, we'll look at our young heroes and be like, ah, no, they're not old enough. Um, and I remember, I remember being the age of these guys on the call and going, man. I may not do it perfectly, but if you gave me the opportunity right now, I could do something pretty cool with this, you know, in a number of circumstances. It's just crazy how we get that cycle, man. Um, I want to take guys through. I want to make sure these guys have context too. So for all, so you give them that you're coming out of eight generations of, of oyster fishermen, but I like to take them like, okay, so did you, uh, you know, you're 14, you write that op-ed piece and now you go on and you build out the oyster industry and there you go. Yeah, no, from there. Um, I skipped a bunch of grades. So my, my freshman year in, in high school, I scored like a 1300 on the SAT. Um, I just took like, it was just on a whim. I took it. I took it. I did really, really well. I got recruited by a bunch of colleges. I ended up skipping two years of high school um, to start college early. Right. And of course now I'm 15 years old. I start college at 15. I moved five hours away from my house. I'm 15 years old. And I was a soccer player guys. Like I, I thought that the purpose of college was to play sports. I didn't like, I, I mean, I wanted to go to college, but for me, I was an athlete. That's what I was. And I don't look like, I look like a linebacker now. I look like I played football, but I did play football, just, you know, European football. I played soccer. That's right. And uh, I remember being 15 and seeing the sign for like open tryouts for the soccer team. And uh, I remember going home to my dorm. It was crazy because uh, I was so young. I had to live in the dorm. They wouldn't let me have a car. Like I, I was kind of locked down because I was so young. Um, and I remember thinking like, no, you know, I can't do this. Most of the players on the team were like 20, 21. I'm like, I can't do this. And I remember like not crying, but like really feeling sorry for myself in my room that night. Like, I wish I could play soccer. I wish... And then I thought, you know what? The trials are tomorrow. Like, what's the worst, like, what's the worst that could happen? Like they could throw me out of the tryout, right? Well, that's not worse than where I am. Like right now I'm sitting here feeling sorry for myself that I can't try out. So I'll just show up. So I showed up and, you know, I remember the coach saying, well, no one there's this, this college had a special program for kids who would start early. He's like, none of you guys have ever tried out before. I'm like, well, does that mean we can't? Mm. No, we'll see how you do. Right. And it's like, if you've ever been to a college tryout, it starts with a whole lot of people. And after about three days, there's really not a lot of people. And as it got to be really not a lot of people, I realized like I was still there and I made the team and I was like the last person on the team, but I made the team. Uh, we got to our first game. This is how last person I was guys. I had to buy my own uniform. Like they didn't supply anything for me. Cause I, I think he just kind of tacked me onto the, I had to buy all my own uniform, everything. Um, and the first game, 
I was sitting there on the bench and I realized the guy playing my position was not as good as me. Like I could do better than that. And I, at halftime, I walked up to the coach and I said, look, you, if you put me in, I'll play better than that. Or I'll sit the bench all year and never complain. But if you put me in, I'll play better than that. And the coach looked at me, put me in. And I started for two years <laughs> until I, until I left to serve a mission for two years in Europe. But yeah, just, you know, it just, it, 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 a lot of times we get limited by what we think we're supposed to do instead of just saying, well, maybe, you know, and, and look, I'm telling you, I took a 21 year old spot on that team. He was not happy. And every chance that he got in practice, he took me out. I had more twisted ankles and cuts on my shins and I ate a lot of dirt, but you know what that made me really good. I just got better. Cause every time he'd take me out, I would figure out how not to have that happen to me again. And so it just, I just got better and better and better. And by, by six months into that team, I was just part of the team. And people almost forgot that I was 16, you know, it was, it was crazy. And if you look at it, the reality is that started simply because you decided to show up. Cause I said, why not? Cause I had a fantastic father guys. I had a fantastic father who had the, the, the gall or the bravery to say, I think my son could write this better and just had me try. Cause Hey, if I had written an article that was terrible, they wouldn't have published. I mean, you know what I mean? It, would, it wouldn't have been like, if it was horrible, then it wouldn't have gone, but it was just like, why not? Like, why not try? That's so rad. Ah, oh, so rad. So you take your, you take your, uh, you go on the mission, you go on the mission. Yeah, so I, I go, it's crazy. I, I transferred from the college I started early at because they had that program um, to Brigham Young University. And then I um, try out for the team there. I make the JV team. I get called up to the varsity team, which that team won the national championship that year. Wow. Um, now, here's what's crazy. You want to hear something wild? That tryout was the hardest thing I'd ever done to that point in my life. 176 people trying out for two positions. Whoa. It was brutal. First thing we did was 10 miles straight up a mountain. Um, we, we, the first practice we had 176 people. The second practice we had under hundred, like 80 people were gone in one practice. Um, and I just kept sticking around and I didn't make one of the two spots, but I had proven I could really play goalie. And the coach came to me and said, look, we don't have a spot for a goalie, but both of our goalies are seniors. So we'd like you to hang around. Like, would you mind like playing JV? And then we'll call you up. Uh, and I got on the same day, I got called up to varsity and I got a mission call to serve a mission. Uh, for my church for two years in France. And so I decided to go on the mission and, uh, and I missed that. I didn't even know they won the national championship until last year. <laughs> no <laughs> because I, You know, I just went on my mission. I went about my life. Yeah. I never, yeah. I never thought about it again, but the, I actually got the call up to a national championship team and opted out, said no, but that was okay. Cause that was my path. Right. And, and one of the things that I was really modeled was, was my, like I said, my dad was a really great father. Um, I, I came back from my mission. I ended up getting married really, really young. My first marriage, I had three kids, ended up getting divorced um, and living nine hours away from my children. I was really arrogant in my divorce. And I thought, well, I'll just fly and visit the kids. Um, never even checked how far it was. Never even checked if there was a flight. And what happened is there was no flight. Like I just thought, okay, I'll fly there every other weekend, right? Turns out that the flight would take me like 12 hours, but driving took nine. So for the next 10 years of my life, I drove 18 hours every other weekend to see my kids, um, which really made an impression on me. And it really made an impression on my kids and it, because they knew that I would show up mm -hmm. no matter what. If there was an ice storm, if there was an earthquake, if the, whatever happened, I was going to show up. Uh, and, and I did. And it was hard and it hurt. 
Mm. And it wasn't easy, but it it was awesome for me, you know, and, and this whole, for me, the whole story comes down to after about a year of doing that, I just felt so far from my kids and I felt like I had so little influence on them. Um, I ended up in my dad's office crying, you know, just crying, just and I'm 32 years old. I'm crying like a kid and I'm saying, Hey, I, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I don't, I'm doing everything I know how to do. And I just don't know if I have enough influence. I don't know if, if I can really help them. I don't know if they're hearing me when I talk. I don't know if they hate me or if they love me, you know, I don't know. And uh, at this moment, which was like one of the lowest moments of my life as a father, my dad kind of choked. Um, <laughs> because he was trying not to laugh and then he just couldn't hold it and my dad in that low moment of my life just started cracking up laughing at me to my face like he is just kind of like belly laughing and I'm I'm, I'm hurt I'm like wait it's like dad I'm, like I'm telling you that I don't know if I'm good enough as a father <laughs> he he laughed for a good while like it was he couldn't control himself and I'm and it finally I just kind of anger like what what is going on and he said listen me and your mom didn't divorce you lived down the hall from me your whole life and how you're describing you feel right now is exactly how I felt the whole time I didn't know if you were listening. I didn't know if anything I said was going to get true through. I didn't know if I had enough influence. I didn't know if I was good enough. He said, so I'm laughing because I want to help you. And I'm trying to find the solution for you. And I realized that what you're describing is not being a divorced dad. What you're describing is being a dad. That's what it's like. Sometimes you're not good enough. Sometimes you are. Sometimes they don't hear you. Sometimes they do. He said, because all you can do as a dad is really care and do everything you know how to do. Mm. Now, I have added something to that because my dad showed up all the time to the point that for him, it was a given. But the gold standard, guys, of fatherhood, and I'm going to tell you why that matters to you as sons and young men becoming men, is this. Number one, show up. Show up. That's like 80% of the game. If you're just there, you're there. Number two, care, like really connect, go all in, like be there, like really give, really give a damn, really care. Number three, do everything you know how to do. Mm -hmm. If you do those three things as a father, but way beyond father, and I'll tell you that in a minute, you've done it all. That's it. That's the whole game. That's all you can do. Guess what? Sometimes in life, guys, you're not enough. Sometimes you're going to get knocked out. You're going to go into that ring and you think you're going to handle business and then you're going to wake up. You know, if you've ever been knocked out, you don't know that you got knocked out till kind of later. It's a weird feeling. You're in the fight and then you're wondering why the fight's not still happening. And then someone tells you you got knocked out. Right. But what did you do? Did you did you show up? Yes. Did you did you care? Yes. Did you do everything you knew how to do? OK, well, then that was the result. Mm. Like sometimes we're not enough. But but in life, like what happens is. When we start thinking like, am I enough? Can I do this? Think about me with that soccer team. I should never have been on that soccer team. There was half of the team went to the coach after I made the team and said, he, you cannot put this kid on this team. Now I was tall, right? I was six foot three at 15 years old. So, I mean, I was, it's not like I didn't fit in physically, 
But the coach said, no, he's as good as you guys. And they're like, he'll never do the work. He'll never take the pain. I mean, being an, an NCAA D1 athlete is not easy. Some of you guys, like, you want to be a college athlete? There's a lot of pain involved in that. One of my 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 uh, one of my daughters is a D1 athlete, and she showed me. She sent me pictures of her calluses on her feet and things are torn up, and she's at the doctor. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. I mean, the game is a lot of injuries, right? And they're like, this kid is never going to be able to handle that. And so the the coach said, hey, you know what? If he if he ever doesn't show up, I'll throw him off the team. I didn't know that. I found that out the second year. Because the captain told me that they had had a meeting without me about how to throw me off the team if I acted like a little kid. That's crazy, right? Like the, the whole team had a meeting that I wasn't invited to about how to kick me off the team, but I didn't know. Why did I not find that out? Because I always showed up. I just showed up. I wasn't the best guy at practice. I wasn't the fastest. A lot of times I was the slowest, but I just kept showing up i refuse to not show up which is again guys 80 percent of your life is just showing up mm. just showing up are you are you showing up to the things that matter to you like i can tell you what matters to you in your life by where you are where do you show up right if you show up at the auto body shop a whole lot well okay cars mean a lot to you you know if you show up at the comic book shop a whole lot okay well creativity and comic books mean a lot to you if you show up you know, at the, at the old folks home to volunteer a whole lot. Okay. Well, you give it, you give a damn about the community. Like where you show up tells me who you are, frankly. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and then the next question is, do you really care now as, as a kid, right. As a younger guy, and I don't mean kid, like little kid, but I mean, like you, if you live in your parents' house, the truth is they're going to make you go some places you don't want to go. Right. I'm, I'm 48. Trust me when I say I go places I don't want to go all the time. That doesn't really stop. But when you're younger, right, when you're a young man, other people can kind of control where you go and where you sit sometimes. The question is, okay, I showed up. Do I care? Do I really care? Am I really engaged? Am I really here? Or am I just thinking about the next thing? Or am I just, 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 this is, I'm just, I'm just biding my time to get out of this. Right. Again, as a, as a D1 athlete, everybody shows up to practice but not everybody practices like everybody has to be there because you get thrown off the team if you're not there but when you really look at it not everybody's playing hard not everybody's hard is all the way in it right they're just trying to get through and then the third thing is try like do everything you know how to do did you really do everything you know how to do in that situation right and again sometimes guys that's not going to be enough. Sometimes in life, you're going to meet a challenge and that challenge is going to put you on your butt. That's life. Like that's life. But if you show up, you care, you do everything you know how to do nine times out of 10, you're going to come off victor. And, and the times that you get knocked on your butt, guess what? You're going to learn from that. And you're going to be that much better the next time, the next time. So true. So good, man. So my, good. my my hero, like I have two great heroes in my life. Like if I look at my life besides my dad, is that crazy? Like that's how good a dad I had that he's above everyone else. Um, but my the two heroes in my life that you guys would know, because I'm guessing you haven't met my dad, is Muhammad Ali, right? And Frederick Douglass. Mm. Muhammad Ali is a really interesting guy, the greatest of all time. But he lost like three fights. His record is not something to know. And in the middle, they just took his belt away. Literally, they just said, nope, you don't get to be champion anymore. And then banned them from the sport for three years, I think. 
right in the middle, which like for most people would end their career, but he just kept going back. He just kept going back. He fought a heavyweight championship of the world at 42 years old against a 24-year-old opponent. And that opponent was someone he trained. The opponent beat the crap out of him. Like he lost. And they went to the locker room of Holmes, right? They went to Larry Holmes. Now, later, Mike Tyson beats Holmes and says, I'm going to knock him out for Muhammad Ali. Is that crazy? Like this, this whole, but they go to, to Larry Holmes. They go to his locker room and they interview him. And do you know what he says? He's crying. He's crying. And they're like, what's going on? Why are you? He said, because I just beat the greatest of all time. And he's still the greatest because why did he even get in that ring to even step into? He knew I was going to beat him. He knew that he couldn't win. And he stepped into that ring round after round. The man who won was brought to tears by the performance of the man who lost. Now, if you ask Muhammad Ali, why did you fight that fight? He said, I was put on this earth to make a difference. And boxing is just how people know me. So I knew that if I didn't fight another title fight, I would lose my influence in the world. So even though I was going to lose the story of a 42-year-old man fighting a 24-year-old man in, a, in the world championship would keep me in prominence, would keep people knowing who I am so I could have an impact in the world. Now watch this. Only person I know of in history that's ever done this. Then Libya takes American hostages. There's like seven, I think, American hostages that Libya takes. Do you know how they were freed? Marmar Gaddafi wanted to meet Muhammad Ali. And Muhammad Ali had his people call the dictator and say he would personally come to get the hostages and would sit with a meal and get to get to know him if he would like. And, and the evil dictator who took American hostages jumped at the chance. So he personally got on a private jet, flew and had dinner with Marmar Gaddafi, and flew back with the hostages. That's why a 42-year-old man lost a fight he knew he was going to fight to a 24-year-old world champion. Like That's amazing, right? It's not always about winning. Did he show up? Yes. Did he care? Yes. Did he do everything he could? Absolutely. And then did he win the fight? No, but yes, because some people are alive because of him. And he had an impact on the world that's really hard to understand. Like, really, it's hard to enumerate. Um, and so for you guys, like, especially at your age, man, because you're going to constantly ask, am I enough? Am I enough? Well, guess what? Matt Bodro asks himself that every day. I ask myself that every day. Every time I'm looking in my kids' eyes and they need something, I know they need to learn something, and I'm not sure I'm the guy who can teach it to them, but I'm the guy they got. I don't know if I'm enough. It doesn't go away. Like my life has been do I show up to that tryout again and again and again and again? It just keeps going. So, 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 hey, what's the standard? How do you know if you were enough? Did you show up? Did you really care? And did you do everything you know how to do? And hey, sometimes you didn't. Sometimes you didn't show up. Okay, well, that's now you know where to course correct. Sometimes you didn't really care. Now you know where to course correct, right? And sometimes you didn't really do everything you knew how to do. And, and that's why you fail. So, okay, well, that's on me. So if you answer no to any of those three things, then okay, it's on you. Get better.
But if you answer yes to all three of those, well, you just lost. You got a lesson to learn. Gentlemen, that was a, uh, you literally just sat through a, a, a master class in how to be an educated human being on how to be a leader. Um, it, it literally is a, a summation of what this entire process 12 months and beyond is is completely all about if you guys take those lessons away that coach kevin just laid out for you right there no you don't always win but you can't help but be successful there's there's just no way around it and i will tell you right now from experience from knowing coach kevin very well on a personal and professional level from having him i mean getting to spend time with him in, in my own home with my family the man shows up every day the man cares as much as anybody i know about his family about this mission that we're on here about the mission of, of what we're doing with this organization about the the mission of of pouring into you guys about the mission of pouring into these families about the mission of shifting education and, and shifting culture back to where it needs to be um, and he is the first one to do every single freaking thing that he can and what i love too is we we even had a meeting earlier today and he's like yeah this part right here was getting overwhelming so we needed to bring somebody else in right and that's the that's the beauty like that's it. Like that's, that's, that's the game right there. It's like, man, I'm doing everything I can and there's more that's needed. So I've got to find somebody that can do the things I can't, or I can take the things that need to be taken. Like that's the game. That's education. That's building those relationships. That's moving things forward. That's exactly it. He's not just preaching to man. He lives it. Not, not a lot of people know this Okay, Uh, 3M is like a glue and chemical company. Yeah. And 3M has one of the most successful office products of all time, which is the post-it note. Yeah. Okay, right? Probably you guys have post-it notes in your room right now, yeah. right? And what's cool yes. about a post-it note, Trevor, what's cool about a post-it note is you can put it on something and take it off, right? The glue is so weak. It's, it's, it's strong enough to keep the piece of paper up, but it's so weak that it doesn't leave a residue and it's pretty nice. Like you can stick them all over anything. Um, here's the crazy thing. You know what the project to create the post-it note was supposed to do? The project was to create the strongest glue that had ever been created. Like a glue so strong that you could put cement bricks together and they wouldn't move. Whoops. Like it totally failed. Like they actually created one of the Oops. weakest glues of all time. Right. But what was funny is one of the, one of the presidents of the company came down to that, that strong glue project. And he noticed these pieces of paper everywhere and on the walls. And he's like, how are you doing that? I'm like, well, this glue, it's so weak. It's kind of cool. You can stick up, we can write notes and stick it to the wall. And then when you pull it down, it doesn't leave residue. <laughs> the greatest success in like office product history was a complete failure to create the strongest polymer, right? Which, which is what they showed up. They did it. They really cared. They did everything they knew how to do. Did they get the product they want? No. Did they create the most successful office product 3M has ever had? Yes. That's right. So, so like that's success. Did they fail the mission? Eh, kind of not really. Cause why were they making the strongest glue to make money for the company? They, they just found a different way to it. Right. So, so it, it it's, it's, I just can't emphasize it enough guys. Like if there's something that you want, first off, I don't care if it's possible. Right. Anything worth your time, anything worth a damn in life isn't possible. Isn't easy. Right. Like they don't just hand it out on the corner. And if they did, no one would want it because they hand it out on the corner. So whatever it is you want and whatever that is, man. How do I show up? 
do I really care? Am I really going to, by care, I mean, you got to show up when it sucks because nothing worth anything is is, going to be so easy that it doesn't suck. At times it's going to suck and you got to show up when it sucks. There's times you show up and you're like, man, this is not going to be fun. I am not going to like this, but you show up anyway, because that's rule number one, show up. Rule number two is care. Once Once you're there, you give yourself to it. You don't just show up to say, well, I was there. You know, I mean, that doesn't count, right? And then number three, do everything you know how to do and learn some new stuff on the way. Mm. I mean, learn some new stuff on the way. That's very, 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 very important. You so, know, playing playing soccer as a 15-year-old against 20-year-olds, I learned some tricks. Yeah. Had yeah. to, because otherwise I wouldn't be on the team, right? I, who I was after three months, very different cat than who showed up. Who I was after two years, completely different guy. Who I was after two years ended up getting a spot on a national championship team that didn't exist. Here's a true story, right? So I went to the other college. Now, I'm from South Louisiana, like the swamp. I was born six feet below sea level. Below. And you think, how is that possible? I don't know, but it is. That's where we live in (laughs) South Louisiana. Like the water, if you look at the boats going by, they're up above your house. That sounds crazy, but it's just true. We have levees and that's how it works, right? We look up to boats where I'm from. Well, I was going to Utah to try out for soccer. No one told me about the mountains. None of my family had ever been there. I moved 32 hours away from my house. My family's so poor, we couldn't fly. So I don't know how long the flight was because I no one was flying. We couldn't afford that. So I moved 32 hours away with no family, no friends. We knew no one in town, but that's where I wanted to be. I was like, hey, whatever, I'm going to show up. And I figured, you know, I'd have to climatize a little. So I showed up two days early. (laughs) If you know anything about climatization, you kind of want two weeks, maybe maybe more. (laughs) But I showed up two days early because, I mean, whatever. At the time, guys, I could run run three miles in 18 minutes, six minutes flat for three miles. So the day before tryouts, I was like, hey, I better go run. This is a true story. I I got out of my dorm room. I turned the corner. I was a quarter mile from my dorm room. I couldn't breathe and my nose started bleeding. (laughs) And I was so dejected because I realized, man, I have soccer tryouts tomorrow. I sat down on the curb, bloody nose, crying. I looked so bad that a car pulled over to see if I was okay, if if they needed to bring me to the hospital. To which I just looked up and said, no, man, I got soccer tryouts. (laughs) <laughs> and that just puzzled them. And so he just drove away, right? Like, and next day I showed up to tryouts. What's the first thing we did? We ran 10 miles up a, up a, up a hill. How did I do that? I still don't know. I just showed up. What was the next thing to do? I didn't know what I thought we were going to play soccer. I'm pretty good at that, you know, and I, and I could play goalie. So I was like, well, I'll play goalie. I mean, I'm obviously not going to outrun anyone. I'll just play goalie. Right. And Hey, Put your, put your crap down. We're headed up the mountain. Let's go. And we just started running. Like it wasn't, you didn't have three seconds to think it was just go. I was the last person up the mountain. So the way they did it's five miles up, five miles down. Okay. I had never run up a hill in my life. I had never seen a mountain. Like this is the first mountains I've seen. We're going right up it. Right. I end up where in the back with the goalies, which turned out to be a good thing. Cause that's how I made the team. Right. I'm the last person there. I think they waited a good 10 minutes for me to get there. I sat down, I'm huffing, puffing, at least my nose didn't bleed. The coach looks right at me, right in my eyes and says, I don't care if you're last. I care that you showed up. 
because you know what? We're going to run back down this mountain and in three hours, we're going to have our next practice and I guarantee you half of you are going to be gone. So, hey, your last place, good. Show up again. Don't, don't, don't be one of the guys who doesn't show up. So then we have to run back down, right? I was the first person down. Why? I had never run downhill in my life. I didn't know what to do. Was not safe. I'm amazed that I didn't end up on my face, but I was the first person back. But I was also so happy that I didn't get thrown out because I was last. And then I just showed up to the next practice and then the next one. And then look, literally at the end, I did not have a spot, but I was still there. And the coach said, hey, man, we need a goalie, but we don't have a spot because they're both seniors. So if you'll play JV, you'll have a spot next year. I, like a, a spot got created because I showed up. I cared and I did everything I knew how to do. And the coach was so impressed by that because so few people do those things. It sounds so simple, guys, but almost no one will do those three things. Right. Almost no one. Yep. That's right. Especially over a long haul, right? The longer you make that timeline, will everybody show up, care, and do everything they can in one day? No, they still will not. If that's a two-day process, you get even less. If that's a week process, you get even less. If that's a month-long process, it just starts going down, right? You start to put the timeline out further, then you start to get the attrition rate starts to raise. I love that, man. And that that whole um, that whole cycle right there, you're, you're talking about you're talking about the scientific method in real life. You're talking about how humans are you're talking about that. That it's actually like our, what I call the factory setting, right? Like the babies will, you know, they come out and when they start to feel, you know, be able to move a little bit and they can see what's going on, man, they're going to show up all the time. They're going to be excited. They really, really care about what's going on. They're really excited about what's happening. They have no idea what it is, but they're excited, man. And they're going to do everything they can to test their environment. They're going to do everything they can to push their boundaries. And then they're going to reflect on, on how it goes, good or bad. And then they're going to come right back and they're going to show up again, right? It's something that we, I think, are, are born with. And it's a crazy thing that we've got to try to f- get back to it at any point. And it's, you know, uh, that's a wild thing to me, man. But I think that's exactly the game we're all playing. Well, and you don't know which one of those is going to be the hardest either. Yeah. Like yep. Yep. sometimes showing yep. up is hard. Like sometimes yep. just showing up. sometimes caring about something is hard. Like sometimes you just don't like, maybe like your friend has you doing something with them and you don't really care yeah. about this thing, but yeah. you care about him. So you got to find a way to care about this because, Hey, I showed up for him. So that means I got to show up, right? Like not show up and pretend. Yeah. And then sometimes it's really hard to just do everything you know how to do. And unfortunately, like the more you know how to do, guys, the harder it is to do it all, right? right? So, you know, as you go climb up the, the ladder, that's that's how it happens. And yeah. and so, you know, the, the bottom line, though, is anything you want to be ex- successful at, that, that's where you got to go, period. Exactly. Gentlemen, I got one more kind of thing that I want to follow up on here, but I want to open it up um, to make sure you guys are, are golden too. So if you guys have some questions, I want you guys to start putting your hands up. Um, we're going to start calling on you guys um, to, to come in and, and chat too. Um, one of the things that was interesting as you, as you laid that out, and I've never actually really thought of it this way too, but you're laying out just that process right there um, with the, uh, when you're talking about 3M and you're talking about the sticky notes, as you're laying this out, I'm like, man, Hey, I, <laughs> I was in Las Vegas with a bunch of friends. I've got all these failed past, you know, girlfriends and relationships and all this stuff. And in my head, somebody mentions this girl that, you know, I'd worked with and known and been friends with for a long time and mentioned this girl named Heather. And I'm like, man, how's she doing? Like, I want to reach out to her. And in my head, I'm like, man, I would love to just 
let me just sit down with a girl for a little bit that I know I just like, that's just a cool person to hang out with. And maybe she can help me understand why things aren't, you know, going well, why I'm picking the wrong girls. Like maybe she can help me understand where I'm going wrong and all this, how I need to show up different or where I need to, like, it was that I, I had one intention of just like, man, let's see her. Cause she's cool. I want to hang out and just get a girl's perspective of where I'm going wrong. And it turns out to be, you know, one of the best decisions that, that I could, that I could have made is to get that. It's so cool, man. How, but again, start doing something, you know, I mean, that's it, literally look, guys, we're, we're so all fun. freedom loving guys here. Right. So I want you in the chat, every one of you guys, Wyatt, Trevor, Gavin, I can't see everybody's name, but all of you, even the guys who are like off the camera who are bored, even the old men who are here because there's good content here too. Um, I, I'm going to be one of those old men here real soon. Here's the deal. I want you to tell me, George Washington, as a military general, okay, not as president, was really known for one thing. If you think about the revolution, and I have a history degree, so I'm cheating, okay? I have a history degree. I focus in American, Russian, and Chinese history. It's very hard to be me and watch the news right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. I also had a fourth focus in the history of the family, right? And I'll talk to you a little bit about that in mm -hmm. a minute too, okay? But what do you think was George Washington's best move? Yeah, exactly. Ryan Peterson nailed it. He was the best retreater in the world. He ran away better than anybody. He could run away in so many interesting ways the British couldn't keep up. Now, why is that important? Because he did he show up for the fight? Yes. Did he really care? Absolutely. With everything he was, as soon as he'd signed the Declaration of Independence, he was either going to win or die. That was it. Like the, you realize, like to sign the Declaration of Independence, you were saying you're going to kill me or I'm going to kill you. Like there was no you to sign that document. John Hancock putting it big on there was because he was scared. Because they knew, you sign this, the king is coming for us, right? So did he care? Yes. Did George Washington do everything he knew how to do? Yes. And the thing he knew how to do best was get away. Because he knew if we just don't die, if they just don't kill us all, we'll win. Over time, we win. So it does. we don't have to win this battle. We need to survive this battle. So we're going to run away. He invented so many interesting ways to run away all across New England. Right. And he was dang good at it. In fact, it wasn't until later when they brought French guys over who taught us how to attack that we started to win the war. But for a while, we were just really good at running away. Did that work? Well, it's kind of hard to talk about. It's kind of hard to argue with the result he got. Right. He showed up, he cared, and he did everything he knew how to do. And when that wasn't enough, eventually he brought in French advisors who said, no, 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 this is how you attack. The game of outlasting. Oh, Josiah, go ahead, sir. First of all, I'd like to say thank you for coming on the call today, sir. Thank you for making time for us young gentlemen. I do want to mention real quick that you mentioned you were born in South Louisiana, and I actually happen to live um, near South Louisiana. I, I live in Hammond, so near Baton Rouge. Oh, I'm from Homa. I'm south oh, of you, yeah. man. You think yeah, you're at the bottom. We, we think you're way up there. <laughs> I love it. My dad travels there all the time for work near Homa. Yeah. Loma area but um my question for you was i know you have a big background in foot in soccer or football and uh i think you did mention that you played him oh wait no you didn't play american football anyways do you have any experience in any type of martial arts sure i'm a very dirty white belt in jujitsu um <laughs> i also have 
uh, just under a black belt in Taekwondo. I also did Hapkido. I love martial arts. I, uh, somebody put in the chat, you know, like getting punched in the face matters. The first time I got punched in the face, I was 32 and it changed my whole life. It was the man who punched me is Don Cash. He, he is up at the top of Mount Everest. He died summoning the seven summits. He summited the seven summit and died on the way down. Uh, but he punched me in the nose. I had never, I'd never beat anyone up. I didn't know that I was capable of violence, even though I'd played sports. Uh, he punched me in the nose and then I knocked him out. And then I knocked the next guy out. And then I knocked the next guy out. And then they put two guys in the ring. Uh, and, and, and it was, it lit my life on fire, man. I love jujitsu because at jujitsu, I get to die a lot and still live, you know, like if you do it, you know, um, it's huge. And I think it's, it's a massive part of any young man becoming a man because there is an aggressive beast inside of you that had better live. That guy needs to live. Now he needs to be constructive. He needs a good place to play. He needs to be taught to be in control, right? Cause just cause we can run through walls doesn't mean we got to run through all of them all the time. Right. But there is a beast in you that matters. And when, when things happen in your life, you'd better be able to react. You'd better be able, this happened to me. I was at an event. We had about 50 guys and there's this really like, you know, truth and honesty, like really soft kind of airy fairy event. And as we're walking as a group through the park, this homeless guy who obviously is out of his mind, like and dangerous, keeps following us. And he keeps following closer and closer and closer to one of the people in the group. And as I'm noticing this, everybody's uncomfortable about it. There's like 30 people there and everyone sees that this is starting to become a weird situation, but no one's doing anything because no one wants to, no one wants to hurt anyone's feelings. Right. And I remember walking, I was up at the front of the group and I just walked straight back. I got squared with them. And I said, you're going to leave now. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, this second, your body and our bodies are going to move opposite directions or my body will move towards your body very rapidly in an ending that you will not like. So you have five seconds to be moving away from these people or I will move towards you very violently. I don't want to do that, but I'm willing because whatever's happening right now is over right now. And he starts cursing and crazy, but you know what he did? He went away because, you know, I'm not a little guy. And I went back to the group and then I just kind of rejoined the group you know, like nothing had happened. And oh, it was funny because one of the guys said, what was that? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, didn't you see he was about to hurt that girl? I was worried about it. Well, yeah, me too. But I wasn't, I was going to do, so. yeah. I was, I'd rather him hit me. I mean, whatever he's about to do, I'd rather him do it to me than her. Right. But that was unusual. Right. And so I, what I like about martial arts is it gave me the, the wherewithal to know that was happening. I had the awareness I had an ability to step in. I mean, who knows? Like he could have had a knife. Like I could have been in trouble, right? But better me than her. And and it gave me the control. And this is why I like martial arts versus a lot of other things. It gave me the control to know that until action is required, I don't need, I didn't need to just go over there and hit him. I needed to set a really firm, loud boundary and then let things happen. So I, I love, I think martial arts are, are, are really some type of martial. It doesn't really almost matter which one. But some type of physical discipline that has to do with combat is essential for a young man to become a man. I don't think I fully became a man until I got punched in the face. I, I mean, that's just the truth. I, I it because when it happened, I was like, "Whoa!" Something woke up inside of me. Now, don't just go get punched in the face willy nilly anywhere, right? Like that's why they have martial arts dojos and things to make it safe and constructive. Again, yeah. there's like this monster inside of you that you need. 
you're going to need that that thing right during there you were you lived through it just maybe not you might be too young but hurricane katrina hurricane rita mm. i sandbagged for 18 hours me and 300 other people saved the neighborhood of a thousand houses we built a one mile long six foot high levee in one day i've never been so tired in my life that was that same part of me and that had nothing to do with fighting with people but if i hadn't if I hadn't known how to just find that energy deep down, I couldn't have kept going. Right. When, when that was over, someone was moving a tractor to move a part of the sandbag levy that would have collapsed the whole thing. And I had the bravery to run out there and stay in the front of it. I thought the guy might run me over, but I knew if he touched that stuff, it was over like this whole neighborhood floods, right? That's the kind of thing you want. And, and martial arts is a great way to just find out who you are, what your limits are. And it, it teaches you that, to control it right you can, you're in an environment where you can let it go and then learn to control it you know where if you just let it go on the schoolyard or whatever who knows what's going to happen you know you, you don't want that but it's interesting yes, thank you sir yeah thank you. and that's i love it. and that control piece the confidence and the ability to have that control i i'm immediately thinking of two different instances one actually on that same vegas trip not too long after i'm sitting there text messaging that girl heather to see if she wants to hang out at some point and i was with uh former ufc heavyweight champ mark coleman and we spent um the majority of the rest of the evening with him a few other guys too but um mark we were with until the next morning um and it's it was amazing to me how many guys wanted to come up and especially after the fights and they want they're drinking and they're being dumb and they're like i could take you and i could do you know i'm going oh my goodness gracious right like i have no idea what they're talking about but there was one guy in particular was a big boy who was talking about how he was a marine and how he could really take mark and mark's like that's awesome man like good for you that's great that's rad and the guy's like look look at my reach right and he puts his fist on mark's face you know, he's going like this, but he's putting it on Mark's face. Mark's like, all right, man, let's not do that. And the guy's like, you know, hey, no, look, look, look at that. Like all it would do, and he pushed Mark's face like that, right? And I'm going, oh, dear. But Mark was so calm and so confident. He's like, yep, you got a great reach, man. Like that would be big trouble for me. Thank you so much for coming. I appreciate meeting good people, you know? And like, he was just so calm, cool, and collected because he didn't like... He wasn't having to worry about it. He was on guard. He was paying attention because if it was going to get more squirrely, you know, it was what it was. But um, he was very, very controlled with that. And then not too long ago, I was speaking in St. Louis and uh, we went out to dinner that night. There's a bunch of guys. And one of the guys who's now in Apogee uh, men's class 001, his name is Jake Herbert. Um, and he's a world, I mean, quite literally a world champion wrestler for the united states was a u.s olympian wrestler um and some uh, homeless guy came up on us and got right up on jake very very physically and started pushing but he started propositioning him and wanting to get money and you could see jake just posturing but jake was very calm was very kind was talking him down um but he was also ready to go if need be you know to do what he needed to do but it was that strength too that was built through their experience where they could ascertain what was going on, be ready to take care of it, but still say, stay calm in that chaos. Like that is the ultimate superpower. It, I, I can tell you the opposite story too, guys. So you don't think I'm a superhero. So before I did any martial arts training, this is before any of that, right? I'm 20 years old. I'm in France. I'm walking and the, you know, the sidewalks are pretty small in France. And then there's a building that comes to a corner. So I'm walking down the corner this way, right? It's me and my missionary companion. We're walking. And as I get to the corner, this wine bottle comes flying at my face, right? So someone is, is trying to take me out with a wine bottle, right? So I duck, step in, and just deck this guy, lay him out, 
which I thought I was really strong. But when you hear the rest of the story, uh, you'll know this isn't quite true. So I laid this guy out. This is the first person I ever punched in the face. But and it was just instinct. It had it was just someone's trying to take me out, duck away from it, and just punch. So he stops. He lays out. I'm like, whoo, I'm feeling strong, right? Because like someone tried to attack me and I defended myself. And this group of like 20 people start yelling and surrounding me. So here's what was really happening. He was a drunk, homeless person who wanted to make money. So he was dancing on the street. And he was doing this funny dance with a bottle. And I just happened to walk around the corner at the moment that he was swinging this way in his dance. But he was not only dancing, he was drunk and dancing. <laughs> so oh. from my perspective, he was attacking me. But what was actually happening is a crowd of about 20 people had collected to see this guy do a funny dance. And because I didn't have any control, because what, what could I have really done? Just duck the bottle and stand there. But I didn't have any training. I didn't have any control. So I went straight to, oh my gosh, I'm going to die and took this poor man out and then almost got beat up by a crowd of angry people. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, what are you talking about? What am I doing? Like he, he, he attacked me. Like he didn't attack you. He's dancing. Mm. Right. So before martial arts, I actually hit someone in the face and it was ridiculous. Yep. You know, after I had real good reason to hit someone in the face, mm. never had to, he walked away. I walked away. Everybody was cool. So that's, you know, that's it's a great question, Josiah. If you're not in a martial art of some type, Highly, highly recommend it. Also, a lot of psychologists believe that a martial art is a great way for the human male psyche to complete itself. Like for men in particular, it helps us to complete that psyche because we we need the king, the warrior, the lover, and the magician. And many of us in today's world never get that warrior. Mm -hmm. Never get that guy who can run through walls. Again, don't just run through walls because you can. That doesn't work. But but you should be able to run through a wall. You should be able to run at something dangerous. That, that, that's life. It's great, dude. It's you're more dangerous by not being dangerous, right? And that's that's true from a physical standpoint. It's true from an intellectual standpoint. It's more dangerous when you're not dangerous, right? The people that are just wanting to hear their voice and exercising their free speech, but it is just yell, scream without any actual thought, without any actual ability to think through their thinking, to critically think. Well, you're not intellectually dangerous, and that becomes more dangerous because you're more apt to say things that aren't true or to believe things that aren't. So, like our ability to be dangerous physically, intellectually, emotionally, all the I mean, it, and and think about it. Are you are are you a predator or are you prey? Because watch this, right? How many times do predators just kill each other? Like, because when in our mind we're like, oh, I don't want to be a predator. Well, why? Why not? Like, they don't just kill everything all the time. Like, that's called a rabid dog or like, you know, if a, if a lion gets rabies or something, okay, fine. I don't want to be that. But predators don't just kill everything. They just have the ability to kill when it serves them. And then otherwise, they're pretty calm. In fact, they're pretty much more chill than most of the other animals. Like, an antelope's going to be running and jumping all the damn time because it has to be scared of everything where a lion doesn't. And if if being a predator meant that you just wildly attacked everything, they couldn't live in groups. They couldn't get along with one another, right? In fact, predators understand how to go into attack and then stop, right? You don't want to be prey in this world. Like, yeah. you just don't. We Human beings used to be an apex predator. Uh, the apex predator of apex predators, right? And it's crazy. You want to know how? Because we could show up. Because yeah. we cared we wouldn't stop. Yeah. Right. And we did everything we know how to do. You, you know, the pictograms, right, of of human beings killing like animals. You ever notice that they look kind of weird, like the animals not standing right? Because in our mind, because we've watched so many Hollywood movies, what's happening is it's like this really buff guy 
throwing this you know spear from far away do you know how they would really kill an antelope like as a person they would run towards the antelope and that would scare the antelope right so the antelope would run far away well the who's faster antelope or person antelope way faster but person doesn't stop so antelope runs far away people just keep running antelope stops again people just keep running and what eventually happens is the antelope gets so tired that it can't get up but the people keep running and so what's the way that they would kill these animals and all of a sudden the pictograms make sense is the animal is exhausted laying down on the ground and they stab it with the spear from the side just that's it like we would literally wear out prey why because we knew how to show up we knew how to care more than that thing cared and we know how to do everything we knew how to do which was hey if what we got to do is chase this thing for 10 miles awesome because an antelope can't run 10 miles but we can we can do that multiple times a day but antelope can't do that we don't we don't think of it that way we think they oh they must run thousands of miles but it's not like that especially not under stress i love that i love that whole that whole story the whole thing about the the understanding about the predators and, and being able to be in packs and you're right man there's so much more calm usually i started thinking of all the other prey animals and how just spastic they are even looking at our own farm like watching the cat walk through and if it's not if it's hunting something it's crazy intense otherwise it's just the most chill thing that walks around and you know just kind of super but like the rabbits freaking spastic like you 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 look matt you hang out more like i mean come on you you and tim i'll I'll say it here you gave tim a black eye right maybe on accident maybe on purpose who knows but but you've hung out with a lot of fighters and when you hang out with elite fighters you realize like the most dangerous guy in the room is almost always also the most calm guy in the room like he's like almost weirdly calm you know what i mean like things are going off and you're like wow this is getting weird and that guy's like Super serial killer calm. Yep, 100%. Yeah, totally. No, you're not wrong. Oh, man. Logan. All right. Are we all going to not even everything? Zoom was like telling me yep. my internet was bad. We got awesome. you. Sir. Good to hear. All right. Thank you so much, sir, for coming on the call today. I really appreciate your time. So I'm curious. Uh, well, I'll, I'll just ask the question. My question is how you keep a healthy emotional relationship with yourself as you are constantly every day showing up and caring and doing everything you can and i'll tell you why i asked that i mean i don't want to sound like because I, 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 I yeah because i i don't necessarily associate with the crowd that's like always obsessed with like their health and then like they'll do negative things or like to their body that makes them feel better and so they think that they're doing something good for themselves but rather the one thing i really want to avoid as i pursue uh, what i'm passionate about and what my goals are i don't want to like suddenly look around and realize that i've I've like dug myself into a deep emotional ditch or something like that. So I'm curious how you deal. Like uh, I'm curious to what your answer to the question I asked is. So awesome question. First off, I love, I could probably talk about this question for like five hours, which we don't have right now, but I love this question. First off, second, um, I am not, and I, and I like these guys, they inspire me, but I am not a go hard all the time, every time. Three is not early enough. Two is not early enough. Never sleep. Like I'm not, I'm not one of these guys. So I just, I like that. I love it. And I have done it. I, I once coached a five day event on my feet for 20 hours a day with a broken ankle. Like I broke my ankle the first day. I just threw a splint on it. I was like, I got this. I, it doesn't hurt. Right. I mean, I had about six months of recovery and almost lost my foot because of it. Right. So, which kind of taught me, maybe I was being a little stupid, um, but I like that. It gets me excited. Right. But the truth is, um, I don't think that that's very healthy. So so the key is when I say show up, 
care and do everything you know how to do, that doesn't mean that you show up to everything. And that doesn't mean that you do everything humanly possible all the time because some battles aren't worth winning. I mean, in fact, a lot of them are not even worth starting, right? Like this UFC champion who some dumb Marine is, you know, pushing his fist on his face. The, the, what does the UFC champion get out of beating that guy up? Nothing. I mean, nothing really in the world changed. Like he already knows he can beat him up before this even started, whoever he is. Right. So I think one thing, Logan, and I want to get a follow up because I, I know your, your thing is about being emotionally supportive. The first thing is about understanding who you are and doing like when you say, hey, this is a worthy goal for me. So if what you set is a worthy goal for me is to run a hundred miles or whatever, right? Okay, fine. Then you're going to have to do some hard things. It's going to have to hurt, whatever. But if that's not what it is, if your worthy goal is to run a hundred miles while not becoming injured, different game. I still got to show up. I still got to really care. I still got to really be all in. And I still have to do everything I know how to do. But there's nothing wrong with setting emotional boundaries or any other kind of boundaries to keep yourself healthy. That's awesome. In fact, not only is that awesome, that lets you come back again and again and again and again, right? You know, when I, when I, when I played at 15 against 20-year-olds, the first two weeks of practice, Logan, I was injured a lot because I would just run. I felt like I had to prove everything. So every single ball in practice, I was going to go, I was going to, and then I realized after about two weeks, like, that's not going to work. They're going to break me. Like they really can break me. And that's what they're trying to do. So why am I playing that game? So in practice at certain moments, man, just let them have the ball and then I'll take it from them later. Like they're coming to hurt me. What, what you find is if they're coming to hurt me and I'm looking at the ball, when that moment happens, suddenly they're in the dirt and the ball's rolling over there. And ultimately the prize is the ball, not me. <laughs> so you just start playing a little different game. You get smarter, right? You you expand what it is that you know how to do. But I want to make sure I'm answering your question before we go on to the next guy. Is that is that an answer to your question or no? Because if it's not, your question could go a lot of ways. I want to make sure I'm answering the question you're asking, not the one I heard. Uh, yeah, no, but that was a fantastic answer. I I, I think some of, some of my peers that I... Uh, I have relations within the gym. Like some of them are like, Oh, we're going to go hard every time and go listen. Like I, I see that they uh, like that they don't necessarily understand who they like, who they are. And so what I love, I loved your answer. What you said, I, I understanding who you are and then setting boundaries because of that, I believe is an answer to my question. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. And like, what are your targets, right? If your target in the gym is just to be the heart, like, look, think about David Goggins. I respect the hell out of that guy. I love that guy. I mean, I would, I, I love that guy, uh, but he has a really crazy target. His target is to be the hardest human being who's ever lived. I don't want that. I, I mean, the pain and the suffering that's going to come with that, it's not worth it to me as a father of five, right? He doesn't have five kids. He doesn't have a lot of the different things I have in my life. So if that's what he wants, go for it. Man, I'm, I'm inspired as heck about that. Like I have another friend who's doing ocean seven. In fact, oh, we need to get him on as a mentor here, man. Um, he just swam the fourth fastest time. Only 96 people in the history of the world have swam from Molokai to the big Island in Hawaii. Right. It's this crazy channel. All right. It's like 28 miles long. He just swam it. He's going to do the English channel there and back next year. And then there's something called the ocean seven. So that it's like the seven peaks of mountain climbing, but it's the seven hardest channels to cross swimming on the earth. And he's doing seven, seven C the seven seas in seven months it's it's crazy and the guy's gonna do it I, I i coached him i mean everything he sets his mind to 
it, it, it's bananas, right? He he did that. I I don't want to do that. Like it's awesome. It's inspiring. I'm a good swimmer. I have great geometry for swimming. I love swimming in the ocean. I'm not afraid of it. I'll swim a mile in the ocean with you and I'll love it. 28 miles overnight, 13 hours in the, you know, miserable six foot, 10 foot seas, man, no, thank you. Like, I love that you do it and I support him and I'm going to be there for him. And I just don't think I'm going to do that ever. Like, that's not one of the things I want. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't invalidate who he is. And it, and that doesn't make me more or less either. It's like, Hey, I, you see, I have legend here, right? I'm gonna live my legend. I'm gonna live my legend, right? It's not yours. And you're gonna live yours. I hope, I hope. Uh, so, you know, that, that's the key, man. Um, the, the, yeah. Side note, we got to get Steve Leach on here, Matt. Remind me, I'll, I'll send an introduction. All right. I'll write his name down. Is that how fantastic help? human? Is that, is that good, Logan? Solid. Absolutely, sir. Yeah. What I have written down here is who you are and what your goals are set emotional boundaries. Is that a good way to yeah, sum think it all about, up? Think about this, Logan. I'll put it to you this way, right? Do you want to be 600 pounds and 50% body fat? You sure? Because like if to be an elite, an elite top shelf sumo wrestler, you're probably gonna have to go past that. Those guys are proud of that, right? Really crazy. If you want to see something cool, uh, Disney Channel has a documentary series where a guy goes and like practices with sumo wrestlers. And he's this guy's been fat his whole life. He lives in America. He's a real big dude. And he goes over there and all these sumo wrestlers are really big dudes in Japan. There's not very many really big dudes, especially historically, you know, to be big and fat in Japan, like historically, that's that's real rare. So those guys are looked up to as strong and gifts from the gods. Like imagine a 400 pound dude here. We're like, man, dumpy guy. But, but there that was like, wow, look at God has blessed this guy. Look how big he is. Right. He's like a mountain. That's awesome. And so watching an American talk to one of the sewers is like, well, have you ever felt self-conscious about taking your shirt off? And he's like, why? This is a gift from God. Like I'm, I'm a mountain. Like it was just such a, so the reason I'm telling you that is like, whether that's good or bad has to do with who you are, who you've decided to be right. And where you want to go and your, your specific beliefs. And so, Hey, you believe that you should go hard at the gym and keep healthy, emotional boundaries. Cool. Now here's the other side of that coin though, Logan is those other guys. Well, they may never believe that they may think you're dumb for thinking that. And that's okay. Cause they get to believe what they want to believe. But you'll know, oh, no, I'm going to do this a different way. I'm going to do this and and not lose my family. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have a powerful mind, soul, and body, which means, you know, my body might be a little less powerful, but but I have a powerful mind, soul, and body, and that's my game. That's the game I'm playing. Really good. And you're going to figure those things out along the way. You won't automatically know what really constitutes hard for you. You won't automatically know what those boundaries are and when those boundaries are being crossed or met or whatever that looks like. Right. Like that's going to be trial and error. That's going to be experience. That's going to be you continuing to show up, continuing to care, continue to do everything you can, and then continuing to reflect on exactly what that is. So that when you go to the next part of the cycle, which is to show up again, you show up slightly more informed than the last time you go through the cycle and you come back. Right. So you're going to do that over and over and over again. And then you'll get a really good sense of what going hard means for you. You'll get a good sense of what those boundaries are that Logan wants and needs, because at some point you're not going to go far enough. And you're going to be like, shoot, man, I could have done more. And at some point you're going to go too far and be like, I kind of broke right there. Right. And so you're going to have to figure those things out. 
all of those things are just going to be data points for you. And the only way you get to collect the data points is by continuously what? Showing up. So, and to relate this, to, re to relate this to this, like imagine like a professional skateboarder, Logan, like, and not even a professional, just anybody who's a skateboarder. All right. But a professional skateboarder, if that guy never falls ever, is he really pushing what he can do? No. If he always falls, that's also a problem. Right. So if he, if he never falls, then he's not really pushing. If he always falls, then he's pushing way too hard. He's not going to make any progress. Yeah. Right. And so for you, it's, it's finding that balance. So that's what if you it's like if you're a skateboarder and you never fall, you're never going to be good. Yeah. Um, but if you're a skateboarder and you only fall, you're also never going to be good. So that's you right. have to find that balance. That's right. Oh, really good, man. Are you OK for getting another one, coach? I'm, I'm, I got you. You got me as long as you want me, man. You're awesome, man. Thank you. So gentlemen, here's what we're going to do. So I want you guys, cause I know we've got, um, uh, uh one or two new guys here too. So here's what's going to happen. Normally we'll go for about two hours. We'll go for about an hour or so with a mentor hour, hour and 15. And then we'll have a little bit of the debrief today being a funky time being on a Wednesday and just funky schedule because of my travel. We're going to cut it off here in about 10 minutes. Cause I've got to take my, my 12 year old to work. So we're going to cut it off. And then what we're going to do is we're going to actually going to have the debrief over the next couple of days in workplace. Make sure you are in workplace. Workplace is where a lot of this meat and potatoes is. Okay. So we're make sure that we have it in there. So I want to make sure you guys know um, that that's kind of how we're going to roll. Cause this has been, this is freaking gold. And this is one that I don't want to just let slide without doing the debrief. This is just amazing stuff. Malachi, my friend. Awesome. Thank you, sir, for being here. I apologize. I think I might have posted one too many things about the government on my Instagram, and now they won't let me turn my camera on. So um, I am here. I've been staring at you the whole time, but I can't get my camera on. Um, so my question kind of relates to like this weird in-between time of like going from an older teenager into what is yeah. technically an adult. Yeah. So I'm, I'm 17 and a half. I've got a couple months until I turn 18. Um, and I'm kind of starting to hit this point where a couple of weeks ago it was for myself. Like, how do I handle this situation and things are changing so fast? How do I make sure I'm up to speed on everything? And now, now it's not so much for me, but for my relationship with my mom. Um, mm -hmm. so I think it's also kind of set into her, like, that things are rapidly, rapidly changing. And yep. so yeah. my question to you is like, for you, how would you handle um, your kids hitting that stage where it's like, well, they're still I just, I just had four of them go through it. So you're like, absolutely lucky. I just had literally four kids back to back to back go through that. So I got a lot of insight. And what else? That's the, that well, that's the first part is like, how would you handle that? But then the second part is how would you suggest I handle it? Cause I think there's starting to be uh, maybe not tension is the right word, but yeah, you it's think a weird, she's weird. dumb and she's ready for you to go is what's going to happen at the end. Let me tell you a couple things. So let me give you a, 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 a backdrop. Okay. You are going through the single most natural process on the earth. Okay. If you were a baby bird, right? This would be easy. She would throw, like you would go ah, wah, 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 and she would throw up into your mouth for about two months. And then she'd be like, done with this, kick you out. Either you fly and live or you, or you hit the ground and die. Right. If you're a baby bird, that's how it would go. You have no feathers. You would scream. Your mom would puke into your mouth for about two months. And then your mom would be like, I'm done puking in this kid's mouth, kick, 
And then that's it. Like you, most birds, you may never see your mom again. That was the end is that kit swift kick in the ass. And Hey, you fly or you don't, I'm done throwing up into your mouth. That's it. Okay. So we're not birds. I get it. But, but you know, for humans, we have a long time of being raised like 18 years, a long time, right? That's not a little bit of time, long time. Essentially though, the same thing has to happen at some point, at some point you have to feel like I got to go. And at some point, they have to be able to let you go. That process always, and I've done it four times, and I'm the oldest of five kids. I've seen it a lot of times. Always includes on your side feeling like they understand you less and less, and you got to get out of here. And on their side, feeling like you're listening less and less, so it's time to go. So so the first thing I want to say before I say anything else is it's a very natural process you're going through. They're dumb. And they're tired of you thinking they're dumb. And I'm not saying that you're ugly about it like that. I'm just really simplifying it. I saw this with my oldest daughter, right? What's going to happen is they're dumb. And then you're going to get out on your own. And like six weeks into that, you're going to be like, whoa, they're not totally dumb. Hey, can you remind me how to do laundry? Hey, can you remind me how to cook? Like you'll start calling back because you realize like a lot of things you took, you know, took for granted you'll need. But what's weird is that's a good process because that's what keeps us connected longer, right? So I want to say that you're in a very natural process. And those feelings are natural. Right where you are is when like guys get in fist fights with their dad. I remember seeing my my dad and my brother getting a fist fight about right then. Um, and it was crazy. Like they were big dude. I'm a big guy. I'm six foot four, 310 pounds, and they're as big as me, and they're throwing each other against the I thought the fence in the backyard was not was gonna get the worst of it. Um, they didn't end up punching each other, but boy, it was close. And it's it's a frustration because here's the thing, man. No one, there's no right way. Let me tell you a secret from your parents' side. There's no book that comes with like, hey, you know that thing you loved more than anything in your life and you sacrificed everything you are to raise for 18 years? Yeah, let it go. It, mm. It's got to do its own thing. Like if, if as a parent, I do it right, you're going to shoot out of my house like a rocket and you're never going to look back. Like I'm I, like, this is what's happening with me. I got a D1 athlete who, if she calls me once in a week, I feel like I won the lottery. Right. But because she's busy, I mean, she's doing a lot of stuff like it's not it's not because she hates me. She has something to go do. Right. When you go off to college, you have things to do. But we just have like your bed sitting there empty. So we're like, damn, where is, you know, where's where's where is this person? Like, well, I miss this person. Like, so, you know, there's no manual about this stuff. There is no your parents are as beside themselves as you are. You are whether they admit that or not. They have no idea what they're doing. They our whole life we're trained how to take care of you. And now you don't want that, which you shouldn't want that because you want to be an adult. Right. Um, but you know, truth is a lot of times you want to be an adult, but then you want us to pay for things. And so there becomes this kind of natural conflict of like, well, you want to be an adult. Great. Go be an adult. Well, I can't afford it. Yeah, exactly. So how about not being an adult? So there's, there's a push pull that you have to just figure out. Like what I'll tell you is welcome to being an adult because how you're feeling right now, it's how Matt feels about taking his kid to, you know, after this call, it's how I feel about how much time I should go. Or right now I'm having this push pull inside of me of how do I best answer this and how do I help you? Like, that's the uncertainty of freedom, my friend, like, and you're about to have it. And so you're starting to feel it and it comes, it's weird when you're in the position you're in, because at moments you're a full adult. And then at moments you're a full child. It's a strange, the way that we leave into the world as human beings, there's this weird middle it's almost like the tide, you know, and this big wave will come and the water's way over here. But then, oh, man, the next thing it's receded way over there. So I think first off, be patient with yourself. Be patient with your parents. Right. 
if I were you, I would be talking a lot about what you're afraid of. And I would be talking a lot about what's hurting you. And that's it. Because what it tends to be is you get in the struggle of right and wrong. Well, that's not right. Or this is, you know, and they have a strong opinion. One thing to understand, and it's hard, man, you, you can't have the perspective on this. So I understand you're, you're not going to really be able to hear me right now. But I, if you hear me as much as you can, your parents have seen the next 10 years from where you are. So you're, you know, 17, but they were 27. And 27-year-old you typically looks back at 17-year-old you and is like, what a douche, right? So, so they have the advantage of the next 10 years. And what they're trying to do is have you be a 27-year-old, 17-year-old, yep. which is not possible. But they want that so bad for you because they don't want you at 27 looking back and saying, what a douche, right? Because the thing is, guys, if you peak in high school years, like if, if, you're, if your life peaks out at 17, what a waste of a life. I, I told my kids this all the time. Like, hey, you don't want to peak out 17. Like, you're, not, you're probably not going to peak out until you're like 30. Cool. Like, struggle here. That's fine. Like, don't, don't try to peak out right now. That's terrible. Unless you're a gymnast. I mean, if you're a gymnast, you got to peak out at like 15 or something. But other than that, not very many things that like you, you peak out. Of course, you know, some of is changing that, but, but that, that's the thing, man, you're in a natural process. That's hard. I would talk a lot about what's scaring you. I would talk a lot about how you feel inadequate. Why? Because if you come to your parents and say, here's what I'm struggling with human nature, they will start to tell you what they're struggling with. And I promise you, they're as scared as you are more, more. You're supposed to leave. No one told who the hell are they? Most parents, are you the oldest? Like what, what birth order are you? Um, so I'm an only child and I don't have my Even dad. Better. Okay, so so it's literally just me and her. <laughs> You're an only child and it's just you and your mom, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. She yes, sir. Raised, she raised you as a single mom? Yes, sir. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Ready? I'm a single mom, that which is a an incredible uphill swim, right? Like that is completely the salmon, you know, climbing the river, right? Let me ask you this. Let's imagine next year you leave and you get offered to be king of the whole universe, but you got to move to Antarctica to rule over the universe. And your mom's super happy because you're going to be king of the universe, right? But she doesn't get to come because she's not king of the universe. So let's just, I'm just saying the best possible thing happens to you and you take off, okay? The day after you leave, who's your mom? Who is she anymore? I think that's kind of one of the weird things of like, like, I don't, I don't know where that situation goes. Okay. You know? Okay. So her perfect. What did you say? I don't know. Right. So, because who has your mom defined herself to be for 18 years since you were born? Mm -hmm. And who don't you need anymore? I mean, you do, but not the same way. And so no. what's, what's also happening on your mom's side is who the hell is she? I, I have coached thousands of women. I was on the Apogee Woman call yesterday, okay? The main struggle for women is they raise kids. And when that first kid, and it's even worse on only, and it's even worse with single moms because she was kind of mom and dad. She was kind of everything, right? Whether, whether you got it or not, she was it, right? They don't know who they are when you leave. So she's not only having you leave, her entire identity is leaving. Because the only way you make it through single mom is to say, this is everything I am. Because that woman showed up, that woman cared, and that woman did everything she knew how to do. And you know what she lost in the process? Herself. 
because that's such a big job she had to. Now, that's not your fault. So I don't want you feeling any guilt or shame. She chose that because she loved you. And I promise you that on the other side of that, she's going to have to reconstruct who she is. And so she's not losing you only. She's losing herself because, whoa, what, like, what is she going to do with all that free time? Mm. What's she going to do with all that silence? Like all the things that you do that annoy her, she's going to be crying that they're not happening the second you leave. And I know because I've watched my wife do it and I've done it myself. I don't know if that helps you, man, that I would just be really patient. I'd be really loving. And I would, and I would speak in terms of here's what's hurting me. And, and here's what I'm scared of. And that will open the door for her to say the same thing. Yes, sir. I, I appreciate that too. Cause you know, like I said, it was like, everything was just gradually changing every once in a while, a little bit new responsibility, a little bit added something here or there. And then all of a sudden it was like, Boom, 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 boom. Lots of stuff at once. And now. Well, how, how far she, that has more to do with her than you. I promise you. She, cause she's starting to realize, oh crap, who am I? And she doesn't have an answer and she can't have an answer. Cause she's all in on you. And that's dude, that's not your fault. That's awesome. That's right where she should be. It's not yours to fix. It's not hers to fix. Remember you're in a natural process. At some point that bird has to kick that baby bird out of the nest. It just has to happen. Right. And that's what's happening. And it's not comfortable for anybody. It's scary for you because you might hit the ground. And it's scary for her because she loves you. Sure. So Thank good. you. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you, you know, going so in depth with that. Thank you. And gentlemen, we are going to uh we are gonna do this again with Coach Kevin. I have got to get my daughter to work, otherwise, she's not gonna be there on time and it's gonna be my fault. Um, so but this has been uh, like quite literally one of the most, I, I just, this has been so much wisdom. I can't wait to debrief on this. I'm so excited that you guys showed up on the Wednesday too. I'm super, super grateful. Um, coach, we got to bring, we, I mean, we got to do this again. Yeah. And look, guys, I want you to do me a favor, right? Go make a video right now, like right now while it's fresh and say, Hey, my biggest takeaway from this call, the mm -hmm. biggest thing, the thing I learned the most, and then post that up in workplace. I'll go watch them all tag me. I'm in there tag at coach Kevin. And I'll go watch them all and I'll comment. But hey, my biggest takeaway from this call, or maybe you have another question, post a video with that. Dan, I'll, ooh, yeah. I'll answer. Oh. Love you guys. Thank you. So good. You're the best, man. Gentlemen, love you. Sorry, I got to run. Um, we're going to get our debrief in, man. I'm going to send out some videos to you guys tomorrow as well. Thanks, Coach. Thank you, sir. Thank, Thank you, sir. You have now taken the step to becoming a great leader of tomorrow. Join the Apogee program by visiting www.apogeestrong.com. For inquiries, contact us 916-728-0606 or email matt at apogeestrong.com. Thank you for listening to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. Stay tuned for more episodes. Boom. If you are enjoying this conversation, and I know I definitely did enjoy this conversation, um, then we're going to invite you to be a part of what we are doing with Apogee Strong. So we have got mentorship programs for men, for young men, for our ladies. Uh, and yes, we will have mentorship programs for the young ladies to come. But these are the types of conversations we have. These are the types of mentors we bring on. We have these types of conversations with these types of mentors 
every single week. So we invite you to become a part of what we're doing. Head to ApogeeStrong.com and check out the men's program, the women's program, the young man's program, and start getting on board with the mission of re-educating the entire family. That is how we win. That is how we get back to sovereignty. That is how we get back to freedom. And we are inviting you and your family to be a part of the conversation.